You are listening to The Art of Homemaking, and I'm your host, Sally Ann, bringing you conversations with experts in their fields to help us make our homes places we love. I'm delighted to have Daryl Gordon join us today to discuss his career in interior design and his insight and advice on design. Daryl started his career with renowned English firm Colfax and Fowler and moved on to establish his own firm. Thank you for joining us, Daryl. Daryl, could you tell us how you first became an interior designer okay. and when um, did your training? Well, I guess my first formal training, um, I was very lucky to land a job uh, at Colfax and Fowler um, as it was then. Um, uh, it had originally been a fabric franchise in Queen Street, Wallara, selling all the Colfax fabrics. And back then, uh, the mm. UK company was very keen to establish a base in Australia. They had some very, um, very prominent uh, Australian clients in London, and they'd been approached to, to work for them here in Australia. So they sent a director out from London, Martine Burns, and I just happened to be at the right place at the right time. And uh, luckily, I, you know, um, landed a job working, working there. And that was probably, uh, at its time, I guess, Colfax then were sort of the top of the, the pile when it came to um, classic and traditional interior designers. And it was just, a, you know, a, a sort of a, a great chance to learn not only about design, but also the mechanics of how the business operates. Um, and that really, that was a great school. I was yes. there, Adelaide Bragg was there, Heidi Cosgrove, um, uh, Kate Bell. Um, so it was a fantastic training ground. And, you know, you, you, it's a sort of education, I guess, you know, sadly, which doesn't exist very often these days, but no, I was very blessed. So. And what, what were the key things that you really learned while um, you were at Colfax? Oh, style? God. <laughs> Lots. Well, as I said, the mechanics mm -hmm. of how, like, the creative part is all very well, and that's something that I think people have instinctively. But it was how you actually translate that into a business, how you um, make a pair of curtains, how you cost and estimate a pair of curtains, how you, you know, go through all the, the details to make sure that when they're done and installed, they're perfect. Um, and, you know, I was very lucky. I, I, got, to, I got to work with uh, Martina, who had great experience, but we also had some amazing clients too, people who had houses all around the world. So I was exposed to an awful lot of, you know, fantastic work. And, you know, it was just like a sponge for sort of five years. Um, and also, too, like it's, it was beautiful yes. product, too. It was, um, um, you know, to be able to sort of start there as your first job was really quite quite a remarkable experience. How would you describe um, Probably, I guess the, the generic term would be sort of classic. But, again, going back to um, the training at Colfax, it wasn't so much about the... This, the style of the object. It was about how the room and the house and the people who lived in it worked and how they, how they functioned in there. So that's always the, the starting point. Like I personally always prefer, I guess, slightly sort of more classic, more traditional, a little more sort of 
um, relaxed kind of um, interior because um, I think if you can make people comfortable in a room, then it's successful. Um, you you know, we are, sometimes you walk into a space and it feels very brittle and very sort of rigid and instantly you feel brittle and rigid as well. But if things are a little bit softer and, you know, there's the lighting is thought through, there's a, somewhere to put a drink down, there's a comfortable chair that is convivial to conversation, then instantly people relax. And I think that that's, I guess, the, the core of the job is to, is to create spaces um, that, you know, do everything they need to do and function, but also make people relax and, you know, feel feel comfortable. So I think that's very important. I think, you know, you know walking into a home that you, you feel relaxed in, there's a real art to that, creating that environment. And it's yeah, not as easy as Yeah, I think some looks. of it is attitude and also being mm. um, honest about what you want the room to do. You know, um, I, I don't really like those kind of, you know, that, that cliche of the two fo the formal sitting room and the formal dining room at the back, of, at the front of the house. And then the entire family is jammed around a tiny table in the kitchen. And that's where life happens, you know, and these huge areas are sort of, you know, just never get used. Um, so, you know, that's kind of, yeah. you know, that's part of the whole, I guess, design process, talking to people, getting to know how they're making sure that um, you kind of manage their expectations, but they're also trying to get them to be honest about what they want the spaces to do. And then you can think, then you've got a, a good starting mm -hmm. point. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the fundamental principles with Colfax that you could have terribly grand houses and very uh, grand furniture, but it was, mm -hmm. nothing was too precious not to be used. You know, uh, you know, that wonderful thing, yeah. you can walk into a beautiful mm -hmm. room and the host, host or hostess will say, oh, you know, just put your drink down anywhere, anything can go anywhere. And I think that that's really important that, yeah. you know, everything is, is to be used and nothing is, you know, the good room that you, you can't actually relax yeah. in. I always start with a furniture plan. I think that's, that's a, key, a key starting point. So, you know, you, you draw the room up, you put the furniture on, on paper and play around with alignments. Like there might be, you know, a focal point might be a view or a fireplace, hopefully not a television, but sadly sometimes it is a television. And then sort of work out a, the mechanics yeah. of how the room works. So, and then once you've got that down, then the next layer is, you know, trying to work out the, the you know, lighting and, and electrics to make sure that if you want a chair floating in space with a table beside it, that you should be able to plug a lamp in without trailing a, a cord to the room. So, so all those practical things. And, and then decoration is the, is the last layer on top. And that's very much a personal, you know, response. It's like um, when you go shopping for clothes, you, you gravitate towards a similar style or colour or pattern or designer that, you know, fabrics and colour are very personal. And once you can pick up on that, putting a scheme together usually starts with something like a painting or a rug that might take you in a colour direction or a style. And then, and then you just build build from there. But again, I, I like, and I like quality, like I, I, you know, it's it's a bit waspish, I suppose. But I like to buy a piece of furniture once. You might recover it six or eight times, but if you have good quality things that will stand the test of time, um, you know, I've recovered sofas for clients, you know, four and five times um, over the years, 
and I think that's that's good because if it's if it's a good quality piece, it'll work in different different scenarios as well. Well, why should someone employ um, an interior designer? Please. I think the reality is uh, everyone's house is almost always their most valuable asset. Mistakes can be expensive, and you know, a design professional can actually mm. help you with the mechanics of the house of of working out. Um, you know, the best layout to make sure the electrical plan reflects that layout. Um, you know, to try and, and, you know, tease out those details about the sort of things they like, what their, you know, their life history is. They may have lived in different places of the world. So there's a, a connection to a particular style or a, some colours or images or that sort of thing. Um, and a designer can try and get that all together to look seamless. You know, I think the most successful, the, the, the projects I'm most happy with is where it doesn't look like I've gone out and in two days bought everything and it's all been delivered and it's a finished product and it can't evolve and that's it, it's done. Um, you know, that's not designing, that's just shopping. So, um, you know, I think interior designers also have, mm -hmm. have you know, a um, uh, contacts with all sorts of, you know, craftsmen and sources that can do things that um, you can't just walk into a shop and buy off the floor. So, you know, sometimes your role is primarily planning and mechanics and, you know, just all the nuts and bolts of a project. You know, um, I've got a couple of projects at the moment where um, existing clients are moving and so you ha you've already got a core kit of things and it's just fitting all those pieces into a new setting. Or, you know, um, alternatively, people can say, listen, I've just bought a brand new house and I have, and I had a client once who had um, a, a, um, a Lalique bowl. That was the only thing he bought from his uh, previous, uh, previous relationship was the Lalique bowl. And he needed everything right down to the napkins and teaspoons. So, you know, you, the, you know, you can often find yourself in a sort of painted into a corner um, if you don't have a grand plan or a master plan, I suppose, uh, especially with, with a large, larger project. And, you know, that's part of the, um, the job is to try and is to see four or five steps ahead and think, okay, well, you know, if we hang this picture here and this rug relates to that, and then those colors are echoed in a room, you know, that's next door to it. So it's trying to keep that, sort of, you know, that overview. People can be overwhelmed, you know, especially in this day and age where the entire world is in our pockets you know, with Instagram and everything, you know, you're constantly bombarded with, you know, options and images and, you know, things designed to sort of make you go, yes, bye. Um, so yeah, there is, a, that's important to kind of, to kind of cut through all of that and just boil it down to, you know, what, what is the best result? What's the best response to, to, um, to this room? What do we need? Um, and, you know, to give people an alternative, you know, some alternatives they may not have thought about. Colour is, you know, it's a fundamental element, but I don't think colour um, should be a starting point. I like colour in a balanced scheme. So, you know, clients will often say, oh, my daughter wants a pink bedroom. And you think, oh, okay. So the default response is let's paint the walls pink, which is, you know, often a disaster. So it's just tuning up those pink elements in there that tell the whole story. Um, you know, I like colour to be, I guess, quiet so that you, you're not overwhelmed. Uh, you know, rooms can be, you know, our lives can be really 
overwhelming and complex and busy and messy. So sometimes intensity of solid color can be a bit too much. But things like dining rooms, special occasion rooms, uh, guest rooms, um, joinery and utility rooms. You know, everyone has, you don't have to have a white laundry. You can put color into those spaces. Powder rooms is another thing where if you want something a little bit adventurous, but you don't want to see it every day um, or, every, you know, tw 10 times a day, that's where I like a, a little injection of some, you know, some either a, a color or a stripe or a pattern on the wall. So I think color is really important and, you know, paint is really important, but I think what's more important is what you're actually painting. Um, so, Often people will try and rely on color as a bit of camouflage. If, you know, if the architecture's, you know, a little bit off, you know, the window's not centered on the wall or the proportions are wrong, the ceiling's too low, it's okay, let's, you know, throw a lot of color around or the dreaded feature wall. Um, and sometimes I think it's, sure, you know, that might work as a short stopgap thing, but it's much better to fix the, the problem that's, you know, wrong with the room. You know, if the cornice is too small or too big or the window's the wrong proportion. And then you don't need to rely so much on on colour. But but white, um, you know, I've, um, you know, 30 years ago, we all used a Gilux colour called white birch. You know, that went, for everything was always white birch. Um, Gilux uh, do, you know, their the natural white is often nine times out of ten just just fine. But it's, I think people can get really caught up in anguishing lab about just the right shade of white rather than is the room correct? Is the room right? You know, does, when you put furniture in there, does it work rather than, you know, exactly what the white is? But yeah. It's a really good point because mm -hmm. if you get the bones right, exactly, it's like everything else just falls yeah, into Yeah, no, working with an architect yes. a few years ago, yes. and I was just about to do the whole installation, and he, I met him there on, on site, and he just, he said, oh, this is my favourite time because I can walk around the house and it's all white and there's no clutter and I can see all the forms. I can see, and I said, well, you can really see all your work, which was absolutely mm -hmm. true, but it did, it looked beautiful. Um, because there, it was just sort of, un, you know, there was no distractions. You know, 12 hours later, it was a different story, but <laughs> it looked beautiful stuff. So, yeah. Yes. And, Daryl, what about on, um, you know, your yeah. timber work, your windows and doors? Do you like a matte paint I, I or guess a gloss? I like or... old school would be to use something uh, that used to be quite common, but it's hard to find now, which is eggshell. So it's... Either it could be either oil or water base. It's about twenty percent gloss. So, if for instance, if you're working with uh, a lot of custom joinery, which might be polyurethane, twenty percent gloss is kind of the the level that you'd find on like on a polyurethane kitchen. Uh, but um, you know, eggshell is there's a, a few contemporary versions like Dulux do something called aqua enamel, which has most of the qualities of an oil-based enamel paint, but you can actually get it at about a 20% gloss level. Like if you're dealing with pure oil paints, which are the best, you know, technically the best thing for woodwork, um, you know, they've actually stopped doing those very low gloss levels, which is a bit of a shame. So, yeah, I'm using 
Oh, and I'm, I'm actually, you know, yeah. most of the kitchens and joinery I'm doing now, we're hand painting on site rather than polyurethaning. You know, it's just, it's a bit softer. It's not quite so mm. um, sort of flat and dead. And it means too, you can touch it up and you mm. can change your mind. So whereas once it's poly, it's done. It's there for, it's there for mm. you know, for good. So, yeah. So, best of yeah, no, that's great um, advice, Daryl. What about ceilings? What do you think um, about the white ceiling? Well, you know, again, like nine times out of ten, you'd there. go with a standard ceiling white, but we always used to put a little squirt of black in the white just to take the sharp edge off it, usually matte, and unless there's a very good reason why it's not matte. Like if you're doing some decorative detail with uh, cove lighting and you want a little bit of of extra extra gloss but you know i often it's not often but sometimes it's fun to do um some color on ceilings um you know a couple of the bathrooms here mm -hmm. at terragong we've used like a sort of old-fashioned pea green um and you know it looks it's great because it's a bit unexpected and uh, it just takes away from that generic white ceiling um also you know occasionally i i papered the the underside of our garden room with a big wide sort of tent stripe so it actually looks like the underside of an awning things like that which can see a bit can seem a bit indulgent can, can sometimes just make a room and for the cost of two or three rolls of wallpaper you can have an amazing you know create an amazing space whites would show up every little yeah. imperfection whereas if you put you put a soft green or a soft gray um it actually covers a multitude of sins so it's actually a good tip I'm intrigued yeah. about your pea green ceiling. So what do you well, have? It's one of the, the, ensuite, one of the guest room ceilings. en suites. And again, I saw it in an old house in the UK years and years ago and just filed it away and thought, what a great idea. And I've done it with a, for a few clients that are up for it. You know, usually sometimes, sometimes a bit of resistance, but uh, laundries, um, kitchens, it's, it just, um, it's just a bit, um, and it adds an extra dimension to the room. Do you have a favourite flooring? If you could oh, pick anything, well, what would it be? You know, residentially, you know, I I think you know, being practical, carpet and bed carpet or sizal in bedrooms is lovely. It's nice to walk on a texture um, in bare feet. Um, here at Terragon, we've got uh, the original um, Australian cedar timber floors, which are fantastic. Um, some of them are, are a little bit sort of knocked about, so. One of my colleagues um, hand painted a big checkerboard on our floor in the entrance hall, which you know, I the inspiration was I went to a, a function at Old Government House in Parramatta, and their entrance hall had a painted floor. And because you know, um, you know, when the house was built, they didn't have access to expensive slate and marble, so this was. Um, you know, this was their response. And I learned that that's quite, was quite a common thing in colonial houses where you couldn't access exotic Italian marbles was to do a, a paint finish and to, on the floors. Um, you know, I traditionally at Colfax, we had this amazing Brussels loop carpet, which um, was amazing stuff. And, you know, the, the only thing wrong with it was it never wore out, it lasted forever. So, um, uh, <laughs> Sadly, that company has is, is no longer in production. So, you know, accessing some of those patterns now has become um, become possible. But I think pattern on floor, you generally start with a rug. So if it's a timber floor and a living room and you're designing a scheme, you would always start looking for a rug first. Um, because, 
the rugs are the elements where you've got the least amount of control as far as color and pattern. You know, with paint and upholstery fabrics, you can lighten or darken shades rel relatively easily. With rugs, if, especially if they're antique, that's not, that's not an option. So we generally start with a rug. Um, and, you know, I'm using a lot of good old-fashioned porcelain tiles, matte porcelain tiles in, in service areas where, you know, maybe 10 years ago it would have been limestone or travertine. Uh, and people are starting to realise that, you know, maybe save the, you know, natural stone for a lovely work surface where you get to interact with it uh, and take the convenience of a ceramic tile on the floor, which, you know, at the end of the day is covered in, you know, furniture and rugs and, you know, dirt and, and it's easier to look after. So, so that's often, you know, you know, as a scheme would start with looking at um, keeping the sort of exotic patterned marbles and things at eye level and where you can see them and doing, doing something a bit more um, functional and um, utility as, as a flooring option. So if you were to give any advice to people who yep. want to improve their home, but okay. they're on a really limited budget, where would you recommend that they put uh, their, their money? Yeah. Um, well, I suppose if you buy a couple of really good sort of foundation pieces, whether it's a painting or an artwork, or an artwork or a rug or a piece of furniture, because rather than invest huge amounts of dollars into things that if you sold and moved on, you leave behind. Um, that, you know, it's, it's always good to keep the, to keep the, um, uh, the assets sort of portable. Um, also, you know, I, I'm a sort of a bit of an auction tragic. I kind of haunt old auction, you know, go through auctions online and, and you can be, you can find amazing things um, if you put the time in for not huge amounts of money. Like um, auctions have really taken off during COVID and lockdowns, but still, um, you know, it's the ultimate sustainable, sustainable story. If you're buying a set of antique dining chairs as opposed to going out to somewhere and buying, you know, six or eight brand new ones. Uh, and two, if you move or the situation changes and they don't suit, you can just sell them on. Um, and you, you haven't lost, you know, huge amounts of money. So um, that's always a, a good tip for people starting out, you know. But reality is it does, yeah. I think probably, it, that's a conversation that comes up quite often and I'm really upfront, I try and be upfront about managing people's expectations and being honest about what good things cost because, you know, it is, it's a reality that to have something made for you by hand, by a skilled upholsterer or craftsman or soft furnishings expert, um, costs money. So uh, I'd always spend the, the money mm. on the labor and the skill and the craftsmanship, maybe pull back a bit on the fabric. So um, you don't need to spend a fortune on fabric to have beautiful curtains or beautiful upholstery, but it's much better than, you know, saying, oh, well, I'm only going to spend half that and buying something crappy that's going to fall apart in four or five years and, you know, and start again. So, yeah. yeah. So if, if you had to choose between yes. comfort or beauty, <laughs> well, I guess after be? all I said, it would have to be comfort, because, but there's no reason why you can't have both. Mm -hmm. um, and that's, 
I think that's kind of what was drilled into us at Colfax, that the quality is second to none. And it's all about comfort. It's all about making people feel uh, relaxed and at ease. But it's beautiful as well. And again, that's one of the advantages in doing, you know, probably about a third of the products I use, we custom make. So you can scale a dining chair to a client. You can make sure if, this, if the client's six foot four, that the sofa is, ex, is deep in the seat and that the, the bed's a little bit longer and the headboard's a bit taller. Yeah, so that's kind of what you lose when you walk into a, you know, a shop and buy something flat off the floor. Sometimes, you know, it's, it's a trade-off. But, you know, that, um, that I really, you know, I, I don't think you should have to sacrifice beauty for comfort. If I, I think, too, as, as things, yeah. again, it's with traditional styles of furniture, as they age and develop a patina and they, they become more comfortable and I think more beautiful, they may not be as perfect and pristine as they were mm -hmm. when you first bought them, but that's part of the story of the object. So. Yeah. Mm. And actually, yes. I think yes. I, I'm sort yeah. of, I, I'm quite comfortable with that. I know some, you know, with projects, sometimes, you know, you get a call every three to five years saying, oh, the so the fabric's looking a bit drab or there's a few scuffs on the leather and you want to replace it. And, you know, part of me wants to say, just live with it. That's part of the thing. And the other part of me wants to say, sure, I'll recover your sofa for you. No problem. <laughs> <laughs> Daryl, if you hadn't been right. an interior designer, do you, is there anything well, else you've been? Um, in the last probably 10 or 15 years, I'm, I'm as interested now in the outside of houses as well as, as opposed to the inside. You know, when I started, I had no, no interest in landscape and garden design, but I'm starting to become uh, as interested in, you know, exterior as well as interior. So, I suppose even though it's not radically different, you know, to have the skill and the patience to design and build gardens would be something that I could have thought about or may have thought about. Another thing too about, you know, after a lifetime of lumping furniture around, I always said I'd love to, I'd love to sell stamps or jewellery, things that are tiny and small that are easy to move <laughs> around. Um, yeah, jewellery. <laughs> <laughs> Would you give any advice to oh, the younger um, Daryl? Uh, uh, <laughs> um, I don't have regrets as such, but I, I do. The only slight regret is that I didn't keep a journal or a diary or document some of my earlier projects as well as I should have. Um, but, you know, it's a, an affair, like design is quite, you know, you know it, it's a, it's a passing thing, you know, uh, you complete a job and five years later the house is sold and it's all, you know, it's all pulled apart. So I guess that's part of the nature of the business. And um, the other thing too, it's, it's never do anything without a signed contract. Very important. And Daryl, can you tell us what's the best advice oh, you've ever been um, given? Well, actually um, my boss at Colfax said, Top Martin told me once, she said, never, never promise anything that you, can't deliver and it's it sounds a bit trite but it's true because most of my job is is kind of client management of managing people's expectations and i think you know i've got some amazing skilled artisans and craftsmen who 
back up everything I do. But you also need to know that you can actually deliver it because you're standing on site with a tape measure and a paint fan deck and, you know, selling a pillar of smoke. You know, there's no, I can't actually show you what I'm selling is sort of intangible till it's actually, you know, underway and delivered. Mm -hmm. So you kind of have to be um, confident that you can actually deliver what you're, um, what you can see in your head, that image you can see, you actually have to know how to get there. And that's really important. And I guess be able yeah. to communicate that to your client. Yeah. Thank you so much for coming on today. I know you're very busy and it's just been wonderful for you to share all those uh, amazing gems with us so thank you very much thank you for listening in today bye